Please note that this episode contains discussions of sexual violence that some listeners may wish to skip. In this episode, we ask our guest who inspires you. After Ermak speaks about her parents, she talks specifically about sexual and other forms of violence through the lens of Marina Abramovich and history of violence for approximately 20 minutes. episode of Invisible Disco Productions podcast, Writer's Block Party, where we explore the work of emerging artists and break down the all-too-often mysticized process of creating and developing art. I am Amelia. And I'm Dennis. And today we have our wonderful guest, Irma Katsurlu. Um, she is a multidisciplinary artist born and raised in Turkey. She likes to curate her works around acting, photography, modeling, film, performance art, and bilingual prose. She adapts modern aesthetics that she rooted from her parents, who are both architects. A recent performer in Update, an interactive interdisciplinary performance art company, she also loves producing her own work. She is completing her BFA in Drama and BA in Psychology in New York University. However, since the pandemic, she has paused her senior year of education. She's fascinated by the magnitude of the psyche as a creator and a performer, and she's passionate about stripping it down to reach the raw. Ermak is now actively collaborating, creating, and breathing in her home country. How are you? I'm good. How are you too? We're good. Um, Gosh, so good. this is funny because Ermak and I are bo- in, both in Turkey and Amelia is not. Yeah. And usually it's, it's not. the opposite. Yeah, and before so. this I was like, <laughs> should really I come over I'm not and do Zoom? And she was like, no, stay in your home. It's going to be weird, but we're going to be in different that's homes so in the same country. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Is it actually great hearing Dennis say your name? Because I say such an Americanized pronunciation of it. I was like, what? <laughs> that is different than what I've been saying. It is. It's, um, it's, it's difficult, I think, for Americans to say my name. Because you guys don't have the uh sound. You have the I with the dot. We have the I without oh, the I dot. See. And that's what I have mm-hmm. in my name. But it's, you would it's think all good. it's easy for them wow. to say my name, yet it's so hard. Not not this cat, yet, not this, not these yet people. Yet they struggle. But I yeah. have had people struggling. And yeah, yours is a little different. Like I would say, like Ermak is like a pronunciation thing. Dennis, people just think your name Denise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is, I'm sorry if there are any Denise people out there listening to this. Confused. But Dennis is kind of also yeah. Amelia. That was that was a great pronunciation. You like yeah. that was perfect. Really. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, it's very kind. Um, so you've brought in a piece for us. I did. It's because we told you. Oh, to. oh you, you, yes, you did, <laughs> and I brought it in. And I don't know what it is right now. It's just some writing that I did, like I think. To no, this was like three months ago. Um, and I just like wrote it, and it's it's saved on my computer. And when you guys, when Dennis reached out, I was like, this has to get, this has to come to life somehow in some place. So I brought that in. So what is it called? It's called She. I will read it for you. She. She often forgot nowadays. Forgot the little things. Forgot things she possessed. Not materialistically, but sentimentally. She realized she was forgetting just recently when she was told by a woman whom she sees very frequently that she has suppressed her feelings in order to protect herself 
a survival strategy. The woman asked her many questions about the causes of these instincts she could not recall, nor the calibration of the strategy or the details of the instances. Deep down, she felt she knew the feelings she had felt, but could not find anything in her to remember vividly what made her so upset. The woman told her that her mind had put a lock on memories that made her upset. This made her upset. This made her realize she had been locking down not only memories, but also her feelings. Ever since the woman told her this, and she knew it was true, she became more aware of the habit, locking down the memories unconsciously. It was a smart tactic. She was just trying to survive. One day, she was really sad. Really, really sad. She went to a big garden that had a big pond in it. She had forced herself out because the sun was out. She had missed the sun. She sat by the pond with a glass of white wine and a cigarette. It was chilly. She preferred it that way. She had the wine to warm her up anyway. She looked down at the pond forever. The water was very still. She could see the duck swimming, cutting the, perf the perfectness of the water with a ripple as it coursed to its destination. She was jealous of the duck. Sometimes she had none. The sky was on the water, the blue sky, the clouds, the naked trees. It was spring, but spring hadn't arrived yet. Spring was shy this season. Spring was late. She watched the movement of the clouds from the reflection on the water. She, she found a piece of serenity in the rotation of the earth. When her cigarette was out, she realized she had been watching the sky from its reflection on the water. She was too sad to lift her head and to look up and see the real thing. She was adaptive to sadness in her own ways. The tactics, remember? keeping her head down, erasing memories, and not realizing her mind was doing it for her. She was so lucky. She did not even have to think about it, because her mind was doing it for her, erasing, erasing pieces of her without even asking. How kind. It knew that the girl was too sad to think about that. She was busy trying to survive, so she thought it was very considerate that her mind would do that for her, looked out for her, didn't stop. Soon also started to erase the good memories along with the bad. She noticed, she was happy, that her mind was so thoughtful and caring like no one else had ever been. Wow. Thank I you. <laughs> Thank you. Really when I was um, in school, like all throughout school, I hated poetry. Like, I don't know why. It just like seemed so far from me. And I was just like, I want, I like prose, like, I don't like, I can't rhyme, I don't like rhyme, somehow it didn't, like, speak to me, but, like, some of, like, some pieces in this, like, the beginning was kind of rhyming, and I was like, oh, is this rhyming? What am I doing? And then, and then it just became prose, and I was like, okay, that's fine, too, and then it just became this mixed prose, rhyme, beginning thing. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying about poetry. Like, I feel like the culture around poetry and sort of, like, the ideas sometimes, like, become very, like, like very academic, yeah. very, like, hoity-toity. And, like, very, very like, formality-shaped. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And, like, like, certain ways and certain poems you're supposed to, like, emulate. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this does a really good job of sort of just being, like... It is what it mm -hmm. is. 
um, it's not really trying to be anything, but it is like a really beautiful sort of poemy prose thing that I really Thank love. Thank you. And it's like hard to, because I think in school we're like taught this like very, especially in like, I don't know, like I did IB, most people did mm-hmm. A levels. It's just like it's taught in a very strict and like mm-hmm. right or wrong way. So like while like creating my own work and the writing like things that just like came to my mind and putting them into the little pieces of writing it's hard to like not judge myself or like how like the style that I'm writing and just like put it on paper and like let it become something like going from like the academic brain to that like I struggled initially but like nowadays I'm just like letting it be (laughs) and you wrote this piece when you were here yeah, I wrote I wrote this piece. Um, so I was in Berlin this semester for the um, training program there, and I was looking forward to it so so much, and it it was like a dream for me. And I did like early application and everything, and then in March fourteenth, I had to come back because of the pandemic. It was like it was so heartbreaking to me, and it was really hard to see like the things that I've been working for and my dreams just like change in a split second because like it it was in no one's hands just it had to be done and so I came here and I wrote this like my first week back I think I I had a hard time sleeping because I was just like when I came you were in quarantine right yeah I I was in like the 14 day home quarantine and as soon as I came back, it was a very, like, a sadness for, like, about leaving Berlin and, like, my dreams and, like, w- like the things that, that, that I was going to do, places I was going to go. Like, it became more of, like, a fear of the world state because I just, like, had so much time to sit at home and not go anywhere and just, like, watch the news. So it became, like it like evolved from sadness and being upset to like actually being scared and I wrote this in like the transition of these two states and when I was having hard a hard time sleeping and I had no melatonin because Dennis usually gives me melatonin because she has them always with her because of the time difference and I looked everywhere for them but I couldn't find them so I was like trying to go to bed and then like I don't know why I just like opened my computer and like I write I started writing this and I actually edited this once after I wrote it and it was like for like typos and yeah it just became this two-page thing out of nowhere and like after I wrote it I like shut my computer down and like went to bed it was really weird it does like I feel like when I like I don't sit down to write when it like when it's gonna sound like weird when it comes to me but like like (laughs) when I when I like when I like when something comes to my head I either like I either like write it down on my notes on my phone to like write it sit down and write it or if I'm like near my computer like that night I like open it up and like start writing because I'm not I would not consider myself, like, a writer, um, especially, like, before 
quarantine, I guess, because I was more of like, I, like I'm an actor, like give me the text and I'll like perform it. But like writing, especially like I went to ETW and like Rosemary told us to get a journal. So we were like, okay, let's journal. You and, have journals. Yeah, so it became <laughs> so it became like it became a way of like processing thoughts, especially during quarantine. And like a lot of my pieces of writing can't comes from um thoughts that I can't process in my head alone. So like when I write them down, it they become these pieces all of a sudden and I think that's cool (laughs) yeah do you ever feel like it is it has been your therapeutic practice especially in the past couple of months like as a as an artist and as someone who particularly needs like self-care because we're in the middle of a pandemic has this been like a escape for you writing (sighs) Mm. Yes and no. Yes and no, because, like, I don't um, write as much as I should, probably, because I just don't, like, I don't, I don't like the action of writing. It's just, like, I feel like it's a different process of me, I think, okay, here's this thing. I was rambling for so long. Here is my thought finalized. (laughs) Um, It's a different thing when you have an issue on your mind to one write it on paper for yourself and to talk like talk it out with friends or with someone because I think it's very like physiologically different like the action of writing and like seeing it on paper like as a mirror and it's such a different thing to say it out loud to someone and have them respond to it do you know what I, what I mean? But like, yeah. So when I write something out, is it's more of like me trying to process it. And I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's why these thoughts that I write, write out are, like come subconsciously come out as like peace, pieces that I'm creating because I'm so like stripped away from like acting or any kind of creative practice right now and like they kind of maybe somehow um, subconsciously come out as like a like a poem or a piece of prose you know yeah and you didn't edit this like that much so it did come out to be like a poem just naturally and had these like verses naturally yeah and I think I while writing it I just like wrote and um like I wrote like a like I did the indentation not the indentations um what's the no like I didn't do the space in between but I did the like like enter like the like the five words and then go to the next line what is that uh, yeah yeah, yeah. return the next paragraph <laughs> return to but i did like the i did like so this the poem looked like podcast. this but it didn't, it didn't have like separations oh. in between oh i so see I, yeah you sort of formatted yeah after you wrote so i was like it. i saw a, a mini sentence wrote enter wrote enter mm-hmm. so it was just like this long um um vertical 
<laughs> rectangle. And then I went ahead and I was like, oh, I can separate sure. this and maybe correct the grammar <laughs> and spelling. <laughs> and sure, yeah. so it became more of like this like beginning, middle, end thing. So it used to be mm-hmm. one big rectangle. Yes. And now yes. it's like smaller rectangles. Yeah. <laughs> now it's smaller rectangles. Interesting. That's, that's good. Uh, yeah. Just because this is a podcast and we want people to imagine. So yeah, we totally. have you visualize it. Really visualize just it. Small rectangles. Mm-hmm. So, so um, what do you think this piece looks like, like in its full form? I have no idea, but I... Yeah. I want it to become something because it, it's just like I think this is after I wrote this I like started writing small bits and pieces during quarantine but like this was like mm-hmm. the first thing I wrote that like came in, in the spur of the moment mm-hmm. and then I was like oh sometimes these things come to my mind and I write them down and they should not mm-hmm. just like be in my computer um, and like I've been like cataloging these into a folder on my computer called personal projects all caps and i want them to become something but i honestly don't know what i envision this to be this still life i'm also like really interested in like still life videography so like just Mm -hmm. like a scenery or imagine this camera being set in one place and it there are no cuts no edits um and it's one take and just like some like a body movement moving in the background or just like still life imagery that like yeah i totally you know, do you understand mean. does anyone have better I words understand. i don't know if, for I don't my know vision if there is a better words but it's sort like of um time lapse not 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 like a sunset but like it's just showing very like mundane everyday I, yeah. movements. And yeah. Um not like a I don't know like not like a music video or just like mm-hmm. Just like I imagine that like in a museum. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like you go into the museum and you like see a screen and it like plays like these weird like jacket exactly. clips you put on the exactly. headphones and it's like it's like saying things to you and you're like, "Whoa, what mm-hmm. does that mean?" <laughs> like Yes. That's what I imagine. Some, like, visuals in the back without the camera changing angle or anything. And um, probably black and white. Mm-hmm. But I just have, like, images in my head. And I don't know how to put it all together. But hopefully someday I will. I was so curious about... Because you said that you like working on bilingual prose. And I, you've been bilingual for such a long time that it's, like... It's two brains, you know, being bilingual, it's like having two brains. And I sometimes, you know, when I'm just getting it out, I don't care what language I write in and I jump around all the time. I'd be like, hello, and then Turkish, 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 and then something English and then something Turkish. But then sometimes I would not be able to do that um, for other reasons. But I was wondering how it is for you to like have two brains it's weird because I've thought about and like I've had people ask me um whether I like think in Turkish and then translate it to English and yeah like I don't because it's but it's because I've been in like this in 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 an international school since pre-k so like it's it's truly my second language and that's why I 
feel so comfortable. I, I told this to Dennis before, probably like years ago. But like I feel more comfortable writing in English than in Turkish, because I took um a higher level English and standard level level Turkish because I was like I want to go to America to study, so I need to perfect this language with like every piece of it and Turkish is my own mother tongue I don't need to write in Turkish that much but like I wrote in English so much and like I analyzed like books in Turkish in English and like it I just like practiced it so much during um the last two years of high school that it like somehow my like writer brain in English like like over like was hot was more um exceed, but it was ex- exceeded my turkish writer's writer brain so like once i realized this i was very um disappointed in myself because i should not be like this and um so i started like reading in turkish a lot last summer and right now they're they're, they're balancing out and <laughs> um me being like i'm spending this semester here so um it's just like also like when you hear it around you it just becomes um easier for you to be involved in it yeah that's that's sort of what i was thinking i i would be interested in maybe one of the reasons that you're sort of english writer brain exceeded the turkish is because like you received for almost four years of arts education yeah at NYU, which is almost always Yeah, and, English. like, some terms um, that I use, like, in explaining, mm-hmm. like, performance or acting or, like, just, like, literary terms that I would use in, like, describing a poem style in high school, like, I don't know the Turkish of them. So I was, like, I was, like, wait, like, mm-hmm. why can I write in Turkish? And so um, I actually, like, during this quarantine, I started, like, one day I sat down and I was, like, I was, like, writing some... It wasn't a piece, but I was just, like, writing to to write and just, like, unload. Mm-hmm. And the, the weird thing is I journal in English, too, because I started journaling in mm. in um, NYU. As so a, I was, like... Yeah, so then I was, like, why am I journaling in English? So I, I like, sat down and I was, like, <laughs> I'm going to write my thoughts in Turkish. And i started doing that more and more and then i started writing these little pieces that i'm writing um recently in like i write a chunk in turkish and then another chunk in english and find a way to mm-hmm. find a way for both of them to like complement each other and not work against each other um and i've been playing around with that and i would really m- like working with that in the future too because that's i think it's some also some words are so untranslatable yeah so like mm-hmm. it's fascinating how languages complement or work against each other in in like writing prose and it's really um i've been fascinated by that lately yeah yeah when i sometimes write for like amelia and thea and lauren to read i have to write in english obviously and then like but i have thought about what I wanted to write in Turkish and then it's like so hard for me to like kind of translate it and still have it be what I want and still sound it as I would want it to be and sometimes I would want to like when I'm writing for myself then 
it, the language really doesn't matter. But when, if I'm writing a screenplay, then that's like so concentrated on acting and that's a job. And our job is kind of, is what we do in New York, which is where we speak in the, yes. the most. So it just like, it has to be that. Like, I feel like I would be really bad at writing a screenplay in Turkish, but then I'm bad at writing screenplays in general. So maybe it's me. I feel like it doesn't matter the language. <laughs> yeah. What writers inspire you? Or, or, or artists too, like where do you find inspiration? Because it's, I think, so hard to find it. Oh, totally. Where is it? I don't know. <laughs> you, have to, you have to catch it. I have a part B to that question that will also give you time to think. I was really, it was super interesting in your bio that your parents are both architects. I thought that was so interesting because I feel like architecture is such an overlooked like sort of art form some architecture is like totally totally art some is not but some is very much art so I'm kind of, I was kind of interested about that like how do you use that in making art um and also who okay inspires. I'm gonna start with uh, the <laughs> architect part and then go into the artist part yeah so okay, we'll go back <laughs> so or like what inspires you to like you don't yeah maybe it's your cat who knows. <laughs> oh I don't know where she is. I would have showed her to you, but she's probably asleep. Um, so, so growing up, my my mom and dad are both. Um, they co-own this architecture company, and their their um, aesthetic is very modern and simplistic, and like um, innovative. And I would like grow up seeing their models because before like before like electronic things that they do now they would like do their like uh, 3d models with their hands in their office and i would go and be like wow and like at home i would see their projects all in like um pencil on like this tracing paper i would see their like drawings all all like very um clean lines and only black and white colors on white like black black pencil on white paper and my mom actually would always dress up like wearing black or white or gray just like very solid basic modern colors and she would wear very simple clothing and I would be very mad at her because I'd be like all my mom's friends are wearing these like flowers and like pink dresses and I'm like why are you wearing these boring clothes and I would wear I would like dress up like the rainbow when I was a kid and for like protesting my mother and And what are you wearing now I am wearing (laughs) black (laughs) no that's my point and then I grow up and um through like in the towards the end of high school and all throughout until now I found myself literally wearing drop black the whole time. And that's what I find myself, like, I, that's what I feel good in. And it just, like, it's just very, um, it's just, it's modern, it goes with anything. It's very, it can be formal or um, casual, depending on what twist you put on it. And I think um, the work I do or the pho- pho- photographs I take like it it just depends on the the flavor it's the flavor you put into a solid thing and i think like the colors and like aesthetics that are simple and 
solid are for me to like for me to work with them is very it just inspires me more because it's it's such a blank slate that it, you can shape it to become anything and i like the i like modernism and i like simplicity and um even when i write on paper i like unconsciously i like visualize i'm like no this like this is capital let's change all the capitals into um lowercase so it looks it, it has the um flavor that i wanted to have the flavor that you want yeah so i just like in in even like in like viewpoints architecture is a part of part of viewpoints yeah. and it's just like a part of Everyday and for life. The, the people listening who don't really know what viewpoints is, oh yeah, me being one of them. Uh, no, it's just describe really it's what this. It's we're trying it's to break this. down like artistry. <laughs> break down the process. Could you just remind us what viewpoints? Of course. Is? It's it's a practice called viewpoints that was where you make yourself aware of different elements around you. So, so like you're in, let's say you're in, in a studio and one thing you focus on is shape, the shape of your body and the shape, the negative space that you, you occupy and like the positive space that, spaces that you occupy with your body. And one is, one is architecture, recognizing like the, um, the lines around you and moving in contrast to them or in harmony to them and what that does to your character or what you want to deliver. Um, rhythm is another time is another just like elements that are categorized into just like categories that you can um th- categories that you can think about while shaping your performance and these are mostly no actually they're all they're physical and um non-physical yeah. like time is another one rhythm is another one so. oh yeah like abstract almost yeah yeah physical and more abstract but yes so just like seeing this modern aesthetic everywhere in my home and on literally on like how my mom dresses it just influenced me as a person and on the aesthetics i i convey onto my um works and yeah I like the color black. <laughs> when we were in high school learning viewpoints, I would do like the most, like the least creative thing. And Armak would just like do something incredibly like out there. I would just like just start rolling on the ground as we do. And Armak would just like start climbing the curtains and do like the, <laughs> the best thing. And she would, she had this journal. She was always a journal person. And my journal, like, fell into pieces <laughs> day two. And hers was, like, very well kept. Like, it wasn't a journal for class, but a journal for her artistic practice. Subconsciously, these are, th- these are, like, injected into me. And it's so weird because I made fun of my mom and was angry to my parents about doing these things. And I am now doing them. So you just... You become your parents <laughs> at the end of the day. Sorry. <laughs> That's the moral story. story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And yes, yeah, so for our final question, who are the artists that inspire you? Um, the, or just the people? Except your mom. Yeah, well, your mom's number Aww. one. Uh, She's going to be so happy when <laughs> she listens to this. Oh, she, she definitely will. 
Um, Good, we have one viewer so far. <laughs> no, we have, we, have, we have so many. So many. <laughs> um, off the top of my head, two people come to my mind. One is um, Marina Abramovic. Yeah. And the second one is Edouard Louis. Um, Marina Abramovic is this performance artist who is just... She's Serbian, and she is around 50-something, I think. She's not that young. And she works on... Her work is based on basically uh, pushing the limitations of the physical body and the mind and just creating pieces that are very very explicit quote-unquote because she likes to work with um the naked body and sexuality and uh, physical violence and like blood and so she does pieces that are um some people call it um violent because of how raw it is and some people are very judgmental of her and they call her like sadistic and all these names mm. but um so one in one of our performances i'm going to tell it very shortly i'm very i was very influenced by it it's just um she did this back in the day and she put like 70 something objects on this table and they varied from like lipstick to a rose to a gun with a single bullet in it. So they were pieces that objects that could inflict harm or pleasure. Um, and she stood behind the table, um, fully clothed. And on the table there was a small note saying, "For the next eight hours, um, you can, the audience can do anything to me. I take full responsibility." So it was kind of the social experiment uh, on humanity and in and voyeurism and the um, anonymity of the audience too. Some In the beginning, people were like putting lipstick on her, on her lips and then t- towards the end, it became, it started becoming very violent because the audience, because she wasn't responsive at all. And some person like in the sixth hour um, took the gun and put it in her in Marina's hands and like tried to make tried to make her shoot herself and like another like guy from the audience came and like stopped him so it became like this performance of the audience really and humanity mm-hmm. in them and her pieces really captivate me because they're they are um, just very touching and um, raw and really challenging the mind of the performer and the audience and yeah she's she's brilliant i would give anything to watch her one of her pieces in real life um and edouard louis is this french author that i recently was introduced to um he has this book trilogy um, End of Eddie, History of Violence, and Who Killed My Father. And I actually got to see the um, the History of Violence, the second book, was put into a screenplay, and Thomas Ostenmeyer, the head director of the Schabrunner in Berlin, he did it, he directed it, 
with his company at the Schaubühne and brought it to St. Anne's warehouse. And I got to see it in the last fall. And it was this Brechtian style of performance and very minimal props, a lot of technology being used in so many clever and brilliant ways. And it was Edward's um, writing. It was his, all of, all of his uh, books are auto-fiction, which is a mixture between autobiography and fiction, which really intrigues me because he, it's essentially his life story about um, being subject to so many, so much um, physical and mental violence in his home and in his country and be about being gay in a community where it was not accepted at all in li this little town in France. And it's these three books are the, his um, journey towards the, uh, through this. And the way he writes is, you never know if, if a detail is true or not, because you just never know. But in like this, this life story of his is written, but just like some details are, you don't know if it's true or not because he contradicts himself sometimes. And he writes in this very Brechtian and blunt way where he like, for example, in one page, he could be talking about his mother's dress and the flower motifs on his, on his mother's dress. And like in the next line, he could be talking about the smell of the rotting pig that was on his doorstep that morning like very just like very blunt and raw um a, a narrative that is autofiction and he um he he did a talk back afterwards after the performance and set at St. Anne's and just the way he spoke really captivated me because first of all he never used the word like and he he just like spoke in as if he was reading off a paper that he already wrote uh, yeah and like he never he would it was like a Q&A and he just knew what he wanted to say when he wanted to say it in this perfect order and just like listening to him I was captivated by his artistry and um, he, the, the one thing he said about, um, actually about, so, so a question came in about the trigger warnings, um, because the, the show consists, all of his books are very grotesque and gruesome, but that's his life and that's what he went through. And so in the, in the, he, he explained that St. Anne's put, requested to put in a trigger warning because... They, the show came in without a trigger warning. And after the first night, audience about upon audience's complaint, they put like a sign at the door. And um, a, a question came in about his, the show and his writing being very open and um, disturbing um, to some maybe. And he just said, this is my life and this is what happened. And I don't like, like he was, so in this, in the second book, in the show, he was raped and it was shown very explicitly on stage. And he, they asked if, they asked why he, they want to show 
it that way and why he agreed to be shown that way, of his character to be shown that way. Um, and he said, rape is physical penetration and I can't show it in a, me- in a metaphorical way of some a song being played in the background and some words on screen metaphorically showing me being raped and being a subject to the sub subject to this mental and physical abuse. I show it as it is because in the real world this is how it happens. And I was really captivated by that because I was thinking about um censorship in art for a long time and how it was how it should be like presented to an audience and how it should be, how artists should, like how the extent to which an artist should feel free in expressing um, non-filtered and non-censored um, ownership to their narrative. So he he really he really captivated me. And afterwards, I went to speak to him, and um, he was he he's this like blonde small man and he is so cute like (laughs) I just like we talked for like a minute and I was like can I hug you like at the end I asked him and he was like I wasn't asked you the same thing and we hugged for a second and I was like bye and I'm I know but yeah ma'am Marina Abramovich and Edward Louis uh, who I recommend his books a lot End of Eddie History of Violence and Who Killed My Father they're amazing do you want to add anything else, anything that's coming up for you or have recently happened that you want to draw our attention towards? No, but this... I just feel very creatively stripped away from just, like, people and artists, and I miss acting a lot, and I... How do you guys feel about this? <laughs> <laughs> I also miss acting a lot and just, like, being in, in rooms with people making art. Yeah. I think, like, back in March, before this happened, I was like, maybe I don't want to become an actor. Or maybe I... Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I still think that, but now I think about it, but I have missed it already. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, yeah, I think, like, I, I would say the amount of times I've been like, damn, I miss acting is probably not a ton but the amount of times I've been like, man, like, I just kind of want to, like, do stuff and, like, see other people's shows and, like, enjoy seeing my friends do the stuff they love and, like, doing projects of my own and, like, collaborating with people. Like, just, it feels like it's not very generative of, like, creativity a lot. Like, I feel like I have to generate my own creativity sometimes. Yeah. When I'm here and I'm like, I need to do something to, like, yeah. make myself feel sane. And it's, like, really hard to do that by yourself. Exactly. I miss being in a room full of artists more than, like, actually practicing it yeah but i feel like one thing that this time is definitely gonna like build up for me in my personality is just like are this this job is very you based and you have to always like push yourself and like get out there and like at the end of the day if you want something done it it has to be you because like and like this time it's it's just it, it's just investing in yourself and just like creating maybe an archive of writing as a, like I'm kind of trying to do that you might like use later it's just like investing on yourself and always 
um, yeah, just working and not giving up because if, yeah, if you absolutely. stop, if you stop, like you have to, to give stop. Up, like. <laughs> yeah. So don't yeah. give up. Don't give up. <laughs> I mean, you know. Cute. But also. Dennis is like, I don't know. give up. Yeah. <laughs> like, letting go is not the same thing as giving up. Yes, that's, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And letting go is so hard, too. Yeah. Letting go is, like, really hard. Yes. It's, <laughs> like, a whole nother episode of this podcast <laughs> yeah, 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 about yeah. letting go, but, like, yeah. Oh, we'll bring them back in for a second episode called Letting Go. Letting uh, Go. Where... How do I go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll, in the meantime, I will you need to write something guys. titled How About Letting go. go, so we can talk about it. Yes. Half English, half Turkish. Do so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Amelia will understand, because <laughs> clearly... I don't understand because obviously, obviously. I now speak Turkish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, well. Incredible. And, well, thanks so and, much for coming along and talking to us. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so um, much. This is, I, I, I love, I love this. I love things to do during, in home, at home, <laughs> where I don't do anything creatively. Thank you so much, Imak, for coming along. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, listening. Thank you for listening, yes. and it was a pleasure. It was so nice talking to you guys. And yeah, you can follow you for Irmak me. on Instagram at Irmakatirli, and <laughs> that is what it is. And us on Instagram, yeah. Invisible Disco Productions. See you later. Bye. Writer's Block Party was created by Invisible Disco Production. It's produced by Amelia Annan, Danis Mavats, Lauren Montes, and Thea Johnson and is edited by Noah Friend. If you enjoyed this, check us out at IDP Presents WBP on Twitter and at Invisible Disco Productions on Instagram and Patreon. Thanks, and have a great week.